the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Teach us, Lord, full obedience. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, won't you take your seats and please, won't you take up your Bibles. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, which was read for us, I want to begin by asking you a question this morning, and that is, do you think much about the future? Uh, it's a good idea not to most of the time, I suppose. Uh, but most of us, when we do try and reflect on what the future holds, knows that we will face many different experiences that are waiting for us. And we don't know exactly what they are, but we will discover them as we go along. There will be accomplishments and failures new friendships and difficult relationships. Some things will work out as planned and there will be surprises along the way. We all have our hopes, but the remainder of our lives lies ahead of us in many respects as the great unknown. As we begin to look at our passage this morning, thinking about what lies ahead of us in the future, I wanna ask you another question, a rather negative question. And that is, what do you fear? Of all the possibilities that might lie ahead for you in your life, which ones will you take precautions to avoid? It's not easy to answer that or take seriously because one of the things that we do with our fears is to try not to think about them. That's how we handle them as human beings. So that the thing that you fear is not something that you will easily find yourself thinking about but that question, this question about my life, your life, uh, this question of uh, the thing that we fear that we take precautions to avoid is so foundationally important. And I ask this question because there is a potential danger that is to be feared and is to be avoided at all costs for each one of us. And that danger is found here in Philippians chapter 3. Over the last few weeks, we've had the opportunity to get to know this church in Philippi. We've discovered a clear and definite commitment to Jesus Christ. There's hardly a negative thing that is said about this church. The gospel has gripped them. They were consistent and genuine in their behavior as they worked out their salvation. But even for them, even in this letter, in the middle of this letter, there was a danger of all the possible experiences that lay ahead of them in their future, there was one to be feared and avoided at all costs. Now, I don't know to what extent we could identify as a church with the consistency and the genuine Christian behavior of those in Philippi, 
But there is one thing that we can say with certainty. Our future, like theirs, holds precise. possibility that we need to take definite steps to avoid. Uh, this danger, what is it? Well, in the opening line of chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Paul, like a typical preacher, says, finally, my brothers, and then has another thought. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you. It's a safeguard for you, in fact. In the, the middle of this letter, uh, we find this rather difficult section, a section which John thought we shouldn't avoid, and so he gave it to me. Uh, not difficult to understand, but difficult to receive in many ways. As Paul tells these brothers and sisters in Christ that they should rejoice in the Lord and then goes on to tell them something that he has told them before, our ears should uh, prick up. It seems like he's going in one direction and then realizes there's something that is foundational for them to remember. What we are to, about to read from Paul is something that holds, uh, he holds very close and dear to his own heart. Uh, Paul points out to them, firstly, the source of this great danger that they are to fear above all else. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who uh, mutilate the flesh. Uh, Paul never really was one to moderate his language or to be polite or politically correct. Uh, the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh, they're extraordinary expressions to describe people amongst the Philippians. Uh, who are they? Uh, well, Paul chooses this extraordinary, uncomplimentary language uh, to describe a horrifying crowd, right? These dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. I mean, do you know anyone like that? Is there anyone that you would like to call these expressions? Uh, don't nod or shake your head. That is an entirely rhetorical question. I don't want to know who they are. Please don't tell me. Uh, we might think that this passage is important to us because we don't know anyone like this. We might want to skip over this passage thinking that there are more important things to cover in this letter. But we actually know quite a lot about these people that Paul is describing in these ways. Uh, the New Testament frequently talks about the Judaizers, uh, those who would uh, come in and who would tell Christians that it was fine to believe in Jesus, but they needed to follow the Jewish customs. These people were respectable people. They were religious people. Uh, they were thoroughly sincere people. They were not radical ratbags with weird, strange ideas. On the contrary, they were conservative people, eager to maintain the customs of the old ways. The custom particularly of circumcision, uh, the sign of the covenant that God had given to the nation of Israel. These people wanted to uphold the law of God. And these are the people that Paul calls dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Uh, he uses this language because these people are in fact, regardless of their appearance, a great danger to the Christians in Philippi. 
But still, we might think that we are reasonably secure some 2,000 years later because we don't know anyone quite like that. Uh, We don't know anyone who is advocating that we carry on the practice of circumcision or keeping Jewish laws or festivals. But I don't want you to switch off just yet because you will see in a moment that the threat which these people posed, the thing that they represented and endorsed, the way of life that they wanted Christians to live by, the approach to life, the way of thinking is a way of life which is very much still presented to us today. And it's presented to us with considerable impressiveness every day of our lives. Believe it or not, we are surrounded by people that I would not, but the Apostle Paul would, call those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Because what Paul is getting at is that there are really only two possible ways of life. That you can draw the line and everybody in life really falls into one category or into the other, broadly speaking. Uh, Look at verse 3. Paul goes on to say, We are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This first way of life is described in two ways. Those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. The other way of life is to put confidence in the flesh. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if for most of us these words just kind of fall on deaf ears because this is not the way that we talk. This is not the vernacular of our day. This is not the vocabulary that we use. But the great danger, says Paul, this danger that is to be feared and avoided at all costs by the Christians in Philippi and by every Christian generation that should follow is moving from the first way of life glorying in Christ Jesus into the second way of life, putting confidence in the flesh. So what are these two ways of life? Uh, Why is the second one so terrible? Well, we'll look at that one first, shall we? It wouldn't occur to us to use these words, but Paul uses them, and this way of speaking is something that we need to take on board. When he talks of confidence in the flesh, when he talks about flesh, he's not talking about the stuff that hangs off of our bodies, our skin, and our muscles. When he talks about the flesh, he is referring to the whole realm of natural things, the whole realm of the physical, the whole created world. That way of life is to be avoided. Uh, The way of life that is of great danger is the life that puts confidence in the flesh. A life that puts confidence in the world, in this world, in the things that are created, the things that exist, the things that are common. It's a way of life that looks for its security, its peace, its satisfaction, its fulfillment, its meaning, its direction to the created order and the natural realm. It looks to the physical and to the ordinary It looks to the self. Paul said in verse 3 that he is a person who does not put confidence in the flesh. But to make that point absolutely clear, he says, listen, if anybody does have confidence or could put confidence in the flesh, I am he. Let me just run off a quick uh, catalog. Let me call up my website and let's just uh, go through the About Us page and get to know me. 
If anyone, verse 4, thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I have been through the right rites. I have achieved the milestones. I have performed the rituals at the right time on the right day. I am of the people of Israel, the right race, descended from Abraham, the special chosen covenant people of God. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only can I trace my lineage back to this tribe, but they are one of only two faithful tribes in the people of Israel. My pedigree is perfect. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. If ever there was a nation that had the right to be proud of their nationality, it was Israel after all. God's chosen people, chosen out of all the nations of the earth to be given the true knowledge of God. They were the people to whom God, the true and living God, had chosen to make himself known. I am an Israelite for goodness sake. I have gone through all the rites, the rituals, achieved the milestones. I am of pure blood. I am okay. That is putting confidence in the flesh. But he doesn't stop there because he then goes on to his personal life. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, we get stuck on Pharisee today because we think that they were hypocrites. Uh, but the Pharisees were the best of the best highly educated in the law of God. If you will, they were the clergy of the day to whom everybody looked up and thought that they were perfect. They were not and neither are we, just by the way. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, verse 6, I was a persecutor of the church. That's how sincere I was. Now again, as part of the church, we might think to ourselves, uh, that's not something that I would want to put on my CV. But remember, when Paul persecuted the church, it was because he believed that the church was the enemy of God. And so it was with great sincerity and enormous zeal that he went about wiping out the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. If you were going to measure me by the law of God, as far as I was aware, I, Paul, have kept the law of God to the letter. I was faultless. Paul, as much as anyone else, had reason to look to his own personal life, to look in the mirror and to say, I am okay and feel satisfied by the life that he lived, to feel value by the life that he lived, a sense of accomplishment because of what he had done. He could find meaning and purpose in all things as he looked to himself, and he could feel fulfilled by the person that he had become. Now, just to make sure that we understand what he is about to say and see how radical it is, we need to think of ourselves and the reasons that we might have to say, I am okay. The reasons that we might have to put confidence in the flesh. Very good reasons, I'm sure, for putting confidence in the flesh. What are the reasons that you might have in your mind to uh, wake up on a Monday morning and look, actually, no, don't wake up, on, not on a Monday morning and look in the mirror, on a Tuesday at lunchtime, to go and look in the mirror and say, I am okay. Where are the areas in your life that you are putting confidence in the flesh? 
Now, I'm not talking here about having low self-esteem. I know that's a problem in our world, but that's not what Paul's doing here. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that we all have reasons to think of ourselves, to look at ourselves, and to say, I am okay. You fill in the blank. I'm not going to do it for you. You can do that work this morning. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 7 and understand how radical it is. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We have to think about the great alternative way of life that is available to us. This first way of putting confidence or glorying in Christ Jesus. To glory really means to put confidence in, to be proud of. This great alternative to looking just at myself to say that I am okay is looking away from myself and looking to Jesus Christ. Look again at the verses we just read and let's fill out what they mean. Paul uses a number of expressions to describe this way of life, this glorying in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, he says, for the sake of Christ. That is how he lives. Not for my own sake, not for the sake of my family, not for the sake of others, but for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, he makes that clearer. He talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That is the great alternative to confidence in the flesh knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, not knowing about him, not having all the answers at Trivial Pursuit or the Bible quiz. It's knowing Jesus Christ, the mighty Son of God, to be my personal Lord, the one for whom I live, uh, the one to whom I give my complete allegiance, the one in whom alone I trust. That is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And Paul says to know Christ like that, not in the other way, not in some vague familiarity, not God in the distance, but to know him as my Lord, that is something of surpassing greatness. I couldn't find a superlative to describe this, so I kind of made up the word. That is the greatest. It is the most marvelous thing, he says, to know Christ Jesus as my Lord. And in verse 9, he puts it another way. Not having a righteousness of my own, not being able to say I am okay on my own, not being able to say I'm okay because I go to Holy Trinity Anglican Church, because I got baptized when I was a child, uh, because I give so much money, because my job is this or I have this address. Not having a righteousness, something that I put confidence in by which I declare I am okay, but rather a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Righteousness is what the Bible uh, uses to capture the idea of being okay 
with God. Righteousness is not a moral quality. Righteousness is being right. And there are two ways of being right. You can be right because you look at yourself and you say, I am right. God, I am right. I have declared myself righteous before you. And when you say it like that, it sounds absurd. You know that you're kidding yourself when the words come out your mouth. Or you can say, I am okay. I am right because I have been given a righteousness a righteousness that is not my own, a righteousness given me by God, a righteousness given me by God, therefore I certainly am okay. Now look at what happens and what must happen to a person's confidence in the flesh when you hear this news and you begin to live like this. Whatever I consider profit, I count as loss. Those things that maybe think that I was okay, they don't matter anymore. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I rejoice in him. Paul says, it's, it's no trouble for me to say these things to you again. It's a safeguard to you. Rejoice in the Lord. What we need to begin to understand is that jobs, careers, social standings, schools, grades. We do this with our kids and our grandkids, you know, where we want them to get into the best school. We want them to get the best grades. Uh, we want them to get the scholarship and be on the travel team. And whether we realize it or not, we are teaching them to put confidence in the flesh as, those, though, as, those, as though those things are of ultimate significance. And we do it ourselves. The reason this passage is difficult is not because it's difficult to understand, but it's difficult to accept. Whatever I considered profit, I now count as loss. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is the reorientation that becoming a Christian really is. When you become a Christian, you discover who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you and, what, and, and, and that everything else, everything else that you thought that mattered doesn't actually matter at all. That the danger, the danger is this. The thing to be feared above all else is this. That being a Christian is not simply a matter of decision that has been made once in the past. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 8 again. Look at the tenses. I consider everything a lost, present tense, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost, past tense, all things. I consider them garbage, present tense, that I may gain Christ, future tense. There is a decision that has been made in the past for the Christian, and I think that a number of us here this morning have made that decision for Christ, a decision that Christ will be my Lord, and I accept him as my Lord, and I want to know him as my Lord, but it is not something that just stays in the past. It's a decision and a reorientation that Christians repeatedly make. Repeatedly, I must review my approach to life. I must reevaluate the things of the flesh. I must think again and again at how I am regarding this new life. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, uh, this reality, uh, this fact of life, uh, this eternal perspective, uh, Paul gives the ultimate reason for regarding everything that his life has to offer as garbage compared to the value of putting confidence in Christ when in the last verse of our passage he says, and so somehow, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, many possibilities lie before us. We don't know what will happen this afternoon or tomorrow or this week or this month or this year or this decade. But one possibility that does lie before each one of us is that we will give into the pressure to put confidence in the flesh. And when we put confidence in the flesh, it squeezes out the ability to live that first way of life of glorying in Christ Jesus and all the benefits and blessings that that brings. And so can I encourage and implore you this morning and ask you to do this with one another. Don't allow yourself to do that. Look deeply this morning and ask the Lord to expose in your hearts those areas where you are putting confidence in the flesh. Maybe they are in the physical realm. Maybe they are in the spiritual realm. Maybe they are in the religious realm. Are you glorying in Christ Jesus your Lord, putting confidence in him? Or have you drifted to a point where you are putting confidence in the flesh and trying to achieve for yourself some sort of self-salvation? I've been a Christian for many years. I'm a member of Holy Trinity. I teach in the Sunday school. Those are all putting confidence in the flesh. This morning is a time to review as we hear the word of God and to, like Paul, count everything else as worthless for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. I may have said this to you before, and I will say it again over the years. I have one verse in the Bible that is the scariest of them all for me. In Matthew chapter 7, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How did that happen? How can we do, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did that. And he says, get away from me, I never knew you. Because all the time, we were putting confidence in the flesh and we hadn't put confidence in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this day that each of us here will know the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and we pray for this in his name, amen.